God, you're in control of, of everything, and uh, just thank you for this morning. I thank you that you've given a few more people an opportunity to come on and hear your word today. We just pray that uh, you would uh, use your word in a mighty way to encourage our hearts. God, we desperately need you. So we just ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to see today that uh, God's heart, what he cares about, is revealed in his choices. Uh, I would be a living example of that. The fact that I'm able to be here today with you to share uh, God's word with you is an example of God choosing um, the, the weak to do uh, wonderful things for him. The fact that God used this dear woman, Mary Magdalene, we're going to look at specifically her story today, is an example that, that God's choices reveal his heart. The text tells us that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And we know from the other gospels that there were a couple other women that were with her as well. While it was still dark, they saw that the stone had been taken from the tomb. If, if you're God and you are going to come down and live on the earth, who are you going to tell when you finally get there to earth? It seems like you would tell rulers uh, or the, the priests, the people that are most important, but who did God choose to tell when Jesus was first born? The shepherds. Uh, these are these are men that could not even testify in court. They were the ne'er-do-wells of their day. They were suspect. They were unclean. And God chooses to tell the shepherds that Jesus is coming. So when Jesus is going to rise from the dead, who is the first person that Jesus chooses to appear to? You would think it would be Peter or John or or some other very important person, maybe march right in and see the high priest right away. But no, God chooses to appear, first of all, to Mary Magdalene. We don't know a ton about uh, Mary. Um, We see a little insight into her in Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. It says that Jesus traveled from town to town, Uh, and proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, and the disciples were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, whom seven demons were cast out of. Mark tells us the same thing, that Mary, who had seven demons, uh, was one of these women that followed Jesus. Now, we don't know a ton about Mary's past, but we can speculate. Mary is not likely somebody who you would have been excited to have over at your home. She would have been a bit of an oddball. If if Mary had lived in the Bay Area, I think we would have met her pushing a shopping cart down the street with a bunch of bags in it. Mary was a woman that had a ton of troubles. And when she met Jesus, Jesus completely transformed her life. I I wonder about you today and about how you feel about your worthiness before God today. Can God work in you? Can God do something wonderful in you? Look at Mary. No one is insignificant to God. 
No one. No one. Uh, kids, if you're still sitting there watching the sermon this morning, you are not insignificant to God. Jesus said, don't stop these little kids from coming to me because these are the ones that are the kingdom of God. These are the ones with faith. These, these kids with faith put us adults to shame. No one is insignificant to God. It, it doesn't matter what your self-image is, what you're like at all. God cares deeply about you. And, and God loves to turn people around. God loves it when the lost is found, when the old is made new, when the broken is fixed, when the confused say, aha, I get it. God loves it when the doubters believe. And God loves it when the lonely... And, and all of us have been kind of struck with that over the past month. When the lonely find someone that sticks closer than a brother. Now this Mary, who seemed fairly insignificant and a little bit on the odd side, uh, although she was one that then supported Jesus' ministry, she ends up in all four Gospels. Uh, through the whole time of the cross and through Jesus' burial and through his resurrection. Uh, she's, she's like the most common denominator that goes through that whole thing. And there's a reason for that. When God says something over and over and over again, he's saying, pay attention to this person. We can learn from her. We look in, um, in Matthew, Matthew 27. Uh, Jesus is on the cross and uh, Matthew records that uh, Jesus cried out and the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open and the bodies of holy people who died were raised to life. And the centurion that was there was terrified and said, surely this must be the son of God. Verse 55, many women were there watching from a distance among them, Mary Magdalene. As evening approached, there came a rich man named Arimathea, or from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a linen cloth. We know that, that he and Nicodemus worked together with this and they had 75 pounds of spices to wrap Jesus' body. And they placed it in a new tomb, which he had cut out of the rock. And he rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Verse 61 says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there opposite the tomb. Mary saw Jesus dragged away. Mary saw Jesus crucified. Mary saw Jesus' body prepared by Joseph and Nicodemus and placed in the tomb. And I think she was disappointed in the way that they did it too, because her and the other women said, we need to go back and do this right. <laughs> so the women spoke together. There were like five of them, if you put together the gospels, there were five of them that talked together about going back to the tomb. And they said, who is gonna roll away the stone? Mark 16 tells us that. And Matthew tells us how that happened. Matthew 28, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love that. And so now early in the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone 
had already been rolled away. And, and we know that, that there was another Mary that was with her as well, but John's focus on, is on Mary Magdalene and this story. Uh, John doesn't give us all of the details of what happened. John doesn't mention the, the angels that the other gospel writers uh, tell us about, uh, nor the guards that were present at that time. I, um, I spent some time reading the, the four gospels, uh, Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, and it is not an easy thing actually to put together, which to me speaks so much about the validity of the gospels. Because if you wanted to make up a story, you would all get your stories exactly the same. You would, you would tell it exactly in the same way. And each one of these guys tells it from a different perspective. Uh, but when you're able to piece them together, which is actually not easy, when you're able to piece them together, you get the bigger picture of what's going on. So look at uh, John uh, 20, verse 2 then. So she, Mary, ran, there's a lot of running in this story, ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, and we know that that's John. John speaks about himself, the other disciple whom Jesus loved. John's talking about himself. And he said to them, she said to them, they have taken my Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. There's, there's a lot of running back and forth uh, in the story that takes place when you piece together the Gospels. Mary saw the angels that were there, but that did not matter to her. What she knew, what Mary knew as she went back to John and Peter, she knew that she followed Jesus all the way to the cross. She knew everything that happened to Jesus. She saw him nailed to the cross. Matthew, Mark, and John tell us that. She saw, uh, she saw uh, Jesus say to John, John, take Mary, my mother, home to be your mom. And, and Mary, you go and live with John now. And, and that night, Mary would have gone home with John. She saw that. She saw the darkness of the afternoon. She saw... Jesus say it is finished and his head drop and for him to die. She saw him taken down limp body from the cross. She saw Nicodemus and Joseph prepare the body and actually lay it in the tomb. And she saw the stone rolled in front of the tomb and the tomb sealed. What she knew is that her savior, her healer, her friend, was dead. And that's why she says, I don't know where they laid him. I don't know where he is. Now, the other women would have gone back with Mary and they rely, they, they relay to the other disciples what had happened there, that the angels had said that he had risen. Um, but Mary doesn't say these words. Mary just says, I don't know where they laid him. Uh, but we read in, in Luke 24, 11, that the other disciples, they did not believe the woman because their words seemed like nonsense. So as the women are sharing with them, this is what we saw. We saw angels. We saw the tomb open. Jesus' body wasn't there. The disciples are like, I, I just, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. And so John and Peter take off for the tomb. 
and I love this passage, being sort of a runner myself, a very slow runner, but sort of a runner, Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going towards the tomb, and both of them were running together. John has to point this out. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He talks about this three times. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. John is the only one that gives us this detail. Then the other disciple, John, who reached the tomb first, he points it out again, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes, or better, went back to their own. Notice a couple of things there. John outruns Peter. Uh, I, when, I, when I think about John, I think about steady, solid. He's in church every week. He sits in the front row. He takes notes. He is the first guy to the prayer meeting. John is like the, the pious, devout one. He is a... Um, He's probably got nice running clothes even. He is a very disciplined person in everything he does. That's how John comes off. Jesus calls somebody like that. Then you got Peter. Now, Peter's running is hampered by rugged lifestyle. I'm picturing him with a pack of cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve there. Um, You remember when Jesus went to... uh, Uh, go preach on Peter's boat. Jesus says, hey, can I go out in your boat to preach to these people? And and Peter, you can almost hear him kicking the cooler shut with the beer in it, saying, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. This is the guy that, that God chose to lead the church. This is God's choice for the church. And Peter just flies right into the tomb there, and it's it's almost like he's just going through things. I don't know who you are, but God chose you. God chose you to know him, to follow him. God's choices reveal his heart for us. All kinds of different people. God chooses to know him. There's not one cookie cutter type of a disciple. God chooses all kinds of people to know him and to hear his voice. Second thing that you notice there. It seems a little confusing. Uh, John says that he looked in and he believed. And then it says that for as yet they did not understand the scripture. And I think that John believed based on the, the women's testimony, the angel's testimony about it, the fact that the tomb was empty. I think John believed that Jesus had rose from the dead. But what it says is that They didn't understand the scripture had yet been fulfilled. John was not connecting the things that Jesus said. Like then Jesus shares with the men on the road to Emmaus, says that, that he taught them, beginning from Moses and the prophets, how he had to rise from the dead. That's the part that he did not get yet. So meanwhile... Look at look at uh, verses 11 and following now. Meanwhile, Mary comes back. Now, the other Mary may have been with her. We're not sure 
uh, about that. But John's focus is on Mary Magdalene. And in verse 11, it says, But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. She, she did not get it. And as she wept, she stooped to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to this is two angels, mind you. She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Jesus is, Jesus is alive. Jesus is, is now out among them, but Mary does not understand it because all she can hear is the grief. All she, all she knows is everything that has happened to this moment and it completely blinds her to what's going on. To Mary, she could just feel her deep, deep, despairing grief. She knew that she was really outcast, a lot of problems. And she knew that Jesus came and was real to her and like that she was changed. She knew he was the son of God. She saw him do miracles. And now she saw all these things happen and he was dead. She knew he was dead. They killed him. I saw where they put him. Could they not leave bad enough alone? Do they have to like parade him through the streets now? How much more can they do to him? This is the lowest point in Mary's life. That's actually a really good place to be at the bottom. When you realize, I got nothing. I got nothing. She is weeping and you can just hear the despair in her voice. I don't even know where they put him. Desperate resignation. It's a good place. Scripture tells us that a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. Verse 20 or uh, verse 14 of chapter 20, having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. That doesn't seem to make sense. Why doesn't she know that it's Jesus? Well, the, the, the word that's used there is she did not grasp what was going on at that moment. Her eyes had not been opened because they were so blinded by everything that was going on with her. Her grief, her circumstances, her pain kept her from seeing, listen to me, her grief and her pain, her anxiety kept her from seeing the reality of God's intervention that was taking place right then. I, I, I wonder what God is intervening in in your life right now and you don't see it. You don't see it. You can't hear it. She could only hear bad news. She could only hear 
bad news. That should, that should ring so well with us right now. We should throw our TVs away. Because <laughs> that is how it seems. We can only hear bad news. And it's almost like an itch that we have to scratch. I, I want to hear worse news. I want to see bigger numbers. I want, oh my goodness, it's like this. Did you hear that? Did you hear? And, and we're just looking at the chaos around us. And we're not seeing God in the midst of it. Our hope is not found in a leader or an epidemiologist. Thank goodness. Our hope is in the Lord who made heaven and earth and who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God's actions reveal his power. God is God is no different than he was here in the scriptures. This is the same God we serve today. The same power is available today. Um, Our eyes have a hard time seeing that though. Paul talks exactly about this in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, and, and take this for you and for me, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches in his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul uses like four power words there in one little phrase. It's like the strength of the power of his might. Paul says, I wish that your eyes were open, that you actually would be able to see that. Verse 15, Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? And don't don't be tripped up by woman used there. Uh, Jesus used the same word in John chapter 3 where mom says, hey, can you make some more wine for this wedding? And Jesus says, woman, what do I have to do with you? It is actually kind of an endearing uh, term there. It's not a derogatory term. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Jesus asked her two questions. Why are you weeping and who do you seek? Really relevant questions these days. Why are you weeping? Why are you despairing? And and who are you seeking right now? She ignores the questions. (laughs) She says, tell me where you laid him. I want to get him. I will do it myself. I have these spices and Joe and Nick. They didn't know what they were doing. How to properly care for him. And I just need to do this one last thing for him. She has no idea that she's standing there talking to him. You know, from God's perspective, nothing is damaged beyond repair. Nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. Homes, jobs, finances, nothing is impossible for God. But have you noticed that God frequently shows up like two or three days after we give up? (laughs) Lazarus, in the tomb, four days. By now he stinketh. Nothing else to do. 
Darius' daughter. Don't bother coming. She's already dead. No problem for God. No problem. So what do you do when God doesn't show up on time? I think for most of us, I know what I do, we decide we're going to take over and do it ourselves. And so some of us spend our whole lives like that. Just taking over. Just doing it ourselves. Doing it. God's not going to do it. He's just not doing it. So I'm going to just do it myself. If I could just fix his body, if I could just take care of this. It's never too late to wait on God. Look at look at uh, John 20, verses 16 and 17. Most beautiful thing. Where he says, I just, just got to find him. Tell me where you put him. And Jesus says to her, Mary. Her name. Put your name there. Put your name there. Joe, Jeff... Mary. And just like that, she can hear him. And just like that, it's okay. It's this turning moment that is just absolutely beautiful. And she breaks. She turned and says to him in Aramaic, Raboni, which means teacher. And we know what she does from verse 17 because Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. This is a pivotal moment in her life when Jesus has her attention and everything comes together. And this moment is going to be repeated with one disciple after another. This moment of belief, this transforming moment when the old is new, when the broken is fixed, when the lost is found, when the confused say, oh, and they get it. Eleanor and I watch uh, The Voice. We just do. And uh, if you haven't watched The Voice, these people come and they sing and you've got four people sitting in chairs that are facing away as these people are singing. But before they get up and sing, they tell you this little montage of their story and something awful's happened in their life or they've worked like crazy or maybe they've been just playing on the street or whatever and they've never had a break. And so they get up and they sing this very nerve-wracking moment. Usually their family is off on the side there and they're all on pins and needles and, uh, and they sing, and as they're singing, if these four celebrities, uh, any of them decide that this person is worthy to be on the show, they push their button and the chair turns around. And just like that, they're on the show. They finish their song. A lot of them just break up as soon as a, a chair turns around. But I am such a sucker because every time a chair turns around and they show the family jumping up in the air, I get teary. It's, it's this moment of change where you know that something wonderful and beautiful has happened. And the first thing that they do as soon as the music stops is they say, what's your name? And the person says who they are. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful moment. It's just a beautiful moment. Uh, it's a really good feel-good show. <laughs> it just is. Um, God has his chair turned around looking at you right now. 
He knows your name. He knows everything that has brought you to this moment right now. God loves moments like that. Jesus said, it is finished and God made the earthquake and a curtain was torn. And Satan thought he had Jesus right where he wanted him to be. And God gave the, gave the command, angel, roll that stone. And Mary, who thought all was lost, Jesus says to her, Mary, wipe those tears. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. At the end of John's gospel, he writes, These things have been written to you that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing you might have life in his name. Having life in Jesus' name is giving God your attention and knowing that he has uh, that he, he has you in his mind, in his heart. He, he's, he's looking at you. He is engaged with you. He helps. He is there. This is what's significant about Easter. There, there is... There is no one insignificant to God. God knows your name and he has a heart for you. And there is nothing, nothing too hard for God. Don't be like Mary and not see it. God's actions reveal his power and he is alive today and he is still making the broken whole, the hopeless, hopeful, the anxious, peaceful, and the lost found today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, which is living and active and gets right to the heart of the matter. Um, we so easily get distracted um, and we just don't see what's right in front of our faces and we despair and we do stuff ourselves and we don't listen to you. And God, we just claim um, our utter helplessness and we ask that you would work in our lives and continue to make yourself real to us in ways that we can hear and understand and help us to do that with each other too. God, help us to believe uh, with each other and in each other in that. God, may we be an encouragement to each other. We, we need you so much, God, today. And we just entrust ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.